Welcome to Conversations with Chamomile. This is your host, Jacob Lyles. Join me as we explore life together. Hello and welcome back. If you're an audio-only listener, I apologize. It's been a long time since I've updated my audio stream, but I'm happy to let you know that we now have some new content. Um, Unfortunately, that comes with the name change of the podcast. I'm rebooting it, relaunching it. It's no longer the Uncharted Life. It's now Conversations with Chamomile. I really struggled over that, and I'm happy with where I ended up. So hopefully we stick with that for a while. We'll see. Who knows? I've changed it a lot in the past. Um, Now, I wanted to reboot this podcast with a series on a topic that I'm very interested in, which is just, you know, the the broad trend of history has been away from religion over the last probably couple of centuries as more educated, more sophisticated thinkers leave behind religion as a thing of the past and look towards an atheist humanist uh, kind of future or even, even Buddhist psychedelic future, um, anything but traditional religion. Now in recent years, uh, especially over the last five or so, there's been a counter trend. There's been people turning back to traditional religion to find uh, a life, a, a way of living, a set of values to hold on to in this chaotic, uh, postmodernist world where every institution has been questioned. Every, every, um, everything has been dissolved and there's maybe there's no more dissolving to do or not much more dissolving to do. And, uh, so people are, are, are turning back uh, away from the acid of modernity and, and back to, uh, religion. I wanted to interview those people and tell their stories because I think it's a fascinating, um, crew. Uh, this is especially, um, did I already say Jordan Peterson? Oh gosh, I got ahead of steam. Uh, yes, especially the big guy uh, Jordan Peterson and his his crowd, uh, Paul Vanderclay, um, Jonathan Peugeot, like they've been a big influence in this direction. Um, also, Rene Girard, uh, the philosopher whose work was popularized by Peter Thiel and in the Thielosphere, another stream of people that are coming back to religion, and um, people are finding reasons to believe. And, um, and they're finding a new life in a religious context. So I wanted to make culture for these people. I want to tell their stories. In many ways, I'm one of them. Um, and the first guy I'm talking to is John Barnes. John Barnes has a YouTube channel on the Myers-Briggs personality types and how they relate to Jungian thought. And he is also an electronics technician. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with John Barnes, and it's good to be back. Welcome back. And John, thank you for coming on the show with me. Uh, would you begin maybe by telling our audience a little bit about yourself? So I'm a electronics technician um, and YouTube creator. Um, my recent YouTube project was trying to integrate some of the symbolism that I was learning from Jonathan Peugeot into the Myers-Briggs. In high school, I had started this YouTube channel uh, going through the Myers-Briggs and analyzing it at kind of the the level of the Jungian cognitive functions. And 
I found that there was a kind of resonance with the symbolism with the Bible in terms of heaven and earth and mercy and rigor found that the um, intuition and sensation seemed to correspond to heaven and earth somehow and um, thinking and feeling seemed to correspond to mercy and rigor and then the complication came in with uh, the introversion and extroversion dichotomy because that also seemed to correspond somehow to heaven and earth so recently i've just been trying to sort out all that seeing if i can make something kind of coherent out of that because the uh the union definitions were just not very satisfactory to me uh yeah so so other than that i i don't i'm not an expert on the myers-briggs but um it does come out of union psychology in the first place right 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 okay yeah and so your project is to like create a more um it seems like more concrete symbolism like on top of the the myers-briggs personality type or right and specifically trying to get uh the language of subjectivity out of the myers-briggs because there were there were places in uh psychological types where jung is talking about the difference between objective data and subjective data and he says basically like there's really no clear definition for this um so i wanted to make it sort of like identity and expression as a kind of um and identity corresponding to heaven and expression corresponding to earth as a kind of way of getting around that that problem of of subjectivity that it wasn't just that say um introverted intuition which is one of the union functions wouldn't just be subjective intuition. It would be intuition that sort of corresponds to the identity of things. Um, and the, the person would be one of those identities. Um, and we just replace, replace the subject with the idea of the identity of the person versus the expression of the person. And, um, this is something you started in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I got into not, not the symbolism side, but, um, got into the Myers-Briggs and in high school and the, and the union backgrounds started publishing videos and just having fun with it in high school. And then, uh, took a long break from it and got interested in Jonathan Bajot's stuff about religion and phenomenology and, and everything. And realized kind of recently last year that there was a, there's a bit of a resonance there. Cool. Well, um, now that we've introduced you, uh, maybe I should go ahead and introduce the um the conceit of this podcast series you're the first one thank you for for being with me um but i'm rebooting my uh somewhat dormant podcast with uh um exploring uh people's spiritual journeys um and, and one thing that i'm very interested in is sort of i i think the a dominant the dominant piece of religious discourse over the last um, say 200 years is something like if you're smart, then you shouldn't be religious. Like religion is something old. We're moving to something new, something post-religious, um, religious religion is for unsophisticated people. And then, uh, sophisticated people should be atheists. Uh, I think this is sort of the dominant mode of thinking, maybe say, uh, turn of the 20th century Western world. 
Um, and, and certainly as we've seen a de decline in religiosity and increase in, um, in, in, in education levels uh, in the mid 20th century to the present. Um, so I'm interested in this sort of bubble of people that seem to be moving the other way, where we have sophisticated thinkers that are moving towards religion instead of away. Um, so I'm hoping that I can get your story, your spiritual journey, um, what has been interesting to you and how, how that's, what's impacted you. But maybe we should start at the beginning and like, what's your background? How did you grow up and from a religious or spiritual perspective? Like what was your, your early, um, path like? Very early on, um, was raised Catholic, uh, went to mass every Sunday. Um, not much was in it for me. It, there was not really a, um, a sentimental thing for me as a kid or anything. It was mostly just one thing we did on Sundays and that we kind of dreaded, um, would go to the, the very last mass of the day on Sundays in the hopes that, you know, the world would end before we had to go to mass. Hmm. Um, then did your, were your parents passionate about it? I think it, I think it meant something to them, um, for sure. And I think it, it was more than just going through the motions for them, but, um, whatever it was for them that was significant was not exactly passed on to us. Hmm. And then, when I was about 11, parents get divorced, and that's kind of where the doubt begins to begins to seep in. Um, yeah. So I think, the fact that they divorced like had an impact on how you thought about God and religious questions. Definitely, I think seeing my dad not take communion sometimes was was definitely a shifting point for me yeah it was kind of like it was a moment of he's taking this seriously now he's taking this seriously to the point where he he thinks that he is disqualified from participating in this in this act of worship and seeing someone take it seriously rather than just show up and go through the motions started me on a on a journey of introspection of of asking myself whether I took it seriously and asking myself if I had the the faith that was necessary to be taking communion and eventually as I you know looked into it I realized that I had really no faith at all um that at best it was kind of a pascal's wager for me it was like well if this is true, then I'm on the right side of the, of the lake of fire in the end. Um, yeah. So, so you're, you're introspecting and you're finding out that like, you don't really take this seriously. And it's interesting that that's precipitated by like your father showing you that he takes it seriously for like the first time that, that you can see. Or when you were telling me your parents got divorced, I'm like, well, this is going to be the, the jilting moment. But it's really an example of someone uh, showing 
um, it ends up showing you uh, like more genuine faith, I think, on the on the part of your father. Um, and uh, so where do you go from there? Like you still keep going to church with your parents uh, or with your dad or mom when you're when you're losing your you're coming to your, your loss of faith moment? Yeah, so that's probably around around 16. Um, I had been just going through the motions and, and still going to the church on Sundays, but around 16 stopped having to go, stopped, uh, my, my parents also kind of fell away from, from going regularly themselves. And so, uh, eventually there was no, there was nothing keeping me going. Um, and then confirmation classes start and I realized that there's no way I can, I can do them. I can't honestly go to these classes and say that I believe the, the stuff that's going on. Um, but I do end up going to the classes and enjoying the classes just because it's like, you know, a bunch of kids my age and hmm. it's fun to see them um, engaging with, with this stuff. Um, but go through all the classes, go on the retreat, um, but and don't, those are about, you're about 16 at the time, 15, 16, 16, 17, 16, 17 okay. they've made it a little lower, a little younger now, but 17 ish was the time. Um, yeah. And then through that, I, I was also looking at the new atheist type people like, uh, Richard Dawkins and, and Daniel Dennett essentially, Daniel Dennett, I, I kind of think is the philosopher that most closely represented what I was thinking at the time. His, his whole idea that consciousness is just a, a trick of these mechanical particles really affected me. Mm-hmm. I think I, I stopped believing in meaning of any kind and and that really messed up my worldview, I would say. Uh, I, I became very, very nihilistic. And uh, I remember there was one time in like a high school classroom, we were discussing the stranger and, and the, the idea of the stranger of existentialism and this idea of like existence precedes essence. Um, so the, the teacher broke it down as if you believe that you're free to decide your fate and what you are, stand over here. And if you believe that there's a, a purpose that you have to conform yourself to that's out there, stand over here. Like I had nowhere to stand because I didn't believe in, in either one. Um, so that's, that's where I was. And I mean, um, now, nowadays, I think, um, I think Sam Harris also is kind of one of these people that he talks a lot about determinism. Um, you know, he's like, well, would you consider yourself at that time more of like a determinist, like not believing in free will or purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It sounds like a very dark, uh, kind of worldview to have. Yeah. I mean, I was essentially a zombie. Like there was, there was nothing to pursue, nothing, nothing worthwhile and ended up, um, just like walking around, like contemplating the meaninglessness. It was, it was very, not not dark but just gray and and difficult um 
Would you, I, what, would, do you think like someone's philosophical point of view, like what has, did it have like an impact on your point of, on your life and emotions and uh, like what you chose your decisions and all that? It's really hard to say. I think, I think there's a, there's a sort of top down thing going on and a bottom up thing going on. There was the top down, like my philosophy was making me uh, lonely and my loneliness was making me have this gray philosophy. Um, I think I also started like kind of disconnecting from people and uh, didn't have a strong ability to um, make friends. So I think they both influenced each other um, for sure. And I'm, it's hard to, when, whenever you do these sorts of accounts of, of what's going on in your life, it's, it's hard to pick what, what causes were really important. Is this like college years for you or? Um... This is all still high school. Okay. Yeah. Late high school at this point. Um, so how, how long did you spent hang out in this kind of, uh, you know, nihilist? Kind Probably of two years, two years about junior and senior year. And, um, what ended up getting me out of it is kind of, the same thing that that Jonathan Bajot does with his with his content in terms of centering and, and Jordan Peterson um, in terms of centering consciousness. It's like okay, just just forget about your alienated state of of paying attention to particles and you know the the bottom down or the bottom up stuff, and just pay attention to how you feel. And it was a very sort of basic. Um, it's almost a basic hedonism that I, that I inherited from just going to therapy and trying to like figure out why I was so lonely and like gray and anhedonic. Um, and so I found that, that thinking more about my, my feelings and my experience was really helpful for getting me, for getting me out of this. Um, then go to college and discover um, Jordan Peterson. And I'm like, Oh gosh, like it was, it was really that moment of like, mm. finally, this is, this is something that, that connects with me and, um, orients me towards the good. Um, the, the stuff you would say about like your life's a tragedy, but maybe you could be someone who could, who could stand up to it. Like just was very invigorating and, uh, and just beautiful. And there's something I think inherently motivating about like states of consciousness, um, because you can you can deny that they're important or metaphysically important, but at the end of the day, like being in good states of consciousness feels better than being in bad ones. Um, yeah. And uh, you know that whole phenomenological point of view. If that's what's like most mo motivating to you, then it just seems like you know, assuming consciousness, putting, putting it at a higher place in your hierarchy of existence kind of makes intuitive sense. Right. Um, I think, uh, Jordan, Jordan Peterson puts it as you can get rid of all the, the good meaning, like that's fine, but you can't really get rid of the, the suffering mm -hmm. of your life. So like you need to do something in regards to the meaning because you've got to have something to, you know, lean up against when, when the suffering comes. So that was, that was a pretty convincing argument.
So this, um, so in college, Jordan Peterson comes out. What, what kind of stuff are you listening to from him? Just the, the maps of meaning lectures he's talking about, you know, this is, a uh, this is probably 2016, early 2016, no, late 2016. I find him. It's um, kind of before his, uh, big political blow up, I think. A little bit. Like it, it was just Lately, starting. Yeah. yeah. It was like Bill, Bill C-16 came out. He did like mm -hmm. one interview. I watched that and then I watched all of his, all of his lectures and, <laughs> and, uh, this idea of like just cleaning up your room as like working on your soul. It was just like, I mean, it, it's, it's basic kind of trivial mundane stuff, but it, it really works and is, and is, um, you know, it's a, it's a humble place to start. So, um, then, uh, discover psychedelics after that. And, uh, I went to the university of Denver and Denver's kind of, I don't know, a, a hub for, for those kinds of things. And talking about, you know, states of consciousness motivating you is like, here was, you know, states of, of ecstasy really. Um, so I got, I got pretty enamored of that. I probably took LSD, like, I don't know, like 12 times in, in 2017. And I don't know, it's, it was probably a lot. This, it yeah. seems like a lot. Yeah. About, yeah. about once a month. Yeah. Yep. And then also working in psilocybin trips through there. Um, so it was walk, walk me through. Um, I don't know if it was your first trip or like your first, like just mind blowing trip. Uh, like what was the, uh, like what was the effect on you? Uh, how did it change your, your point of view? first like mind blowing trip was had to do with the response to suffering. I think, hmm. um, I felt this, I felt this like motherly love in response to, in response to suffering. Like there, there was the Jordan Peterson stuff. There was the, the encouragement, encouraging the, whatever it is in the human spirit in the human spirit that can stand up to suffering that was noble. Uh, and that was kind of going on in my head, but, but encountering like a, a sort of a motherly, like, I just, I just care about you and I want you to be happy in response to that suffering. Um, I, I encountered that on this, on this trip and it seemed it was seemed it coming to be from from somewhere. Was it like outside of you, or yeah, exactly. Like the love was directed at you, right? And and at my my friend who was in the room with me, um, who was kind of like curled up in his bed, um, and I just felt the felt the vulnerability of my friend in the room with me, and I felt the um, smallness in response or in comparison to the love, um, and that experience kind of decentered my world from myself. Like the, the whole phenomenological worldview is, <clears throat> is good, but it's like, it can also be sort of solipsistic mm. in a way. Um, 
so encountering a love that was that was beyond me um, was was compelling. Did uh, that like leave did that leave you with anything after you uh, after you? Uh, I, that that experience did uh, not immediately afterwards. I always remembered that that experience, um, but I was tripping so much that year that like my mood and was just going all over the place. I was, mm. I was like manic sometimes then like very depressive mm. other times. So it, it didn't have an immediate kind of transformative effect. Um, but thinking about it later kind of made the transition to a more religious conversion, probably easier. Um, because it, it seems so, it seems so feminine, this love, mm. uh, and I eventually ended up reverting back to my Catholicism. Um, so it was, it was very easy to associate that, that love of that, that holding, uh, kind of love with, with Mary. Yeah. So with the Holy Virgin. Yeah. The, um, so, so you, it sounds like, uh, you get to college, you sort of, at the end of high school, you're like this nihilistic, you know, I don't even think I exist kind of, kind of guy. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I don't, and probably other people don't exist either. Like they're just like some phenomena, epiphenomena happening. That's mostly a pain in the ass. Right. Um, and then, uh, you get to college and now you're getting hammered with the Jordan Peterson, like full, full, full throttle, like all the Jordan Peterson lectures. And then uh, a year of lots and lots of acid. It sounds like you're, it seems like you'd be in a very different place by the end of all that than at the, uh, than at the beginning. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, then the, uh, got a bad dose of acid after that. So I'm, I'm sort of in this like, very chemi like chemically bad. Yeah. Like bitter to the taste when I huh. took the tab. Um, and so I'm, I'm in this place of, of like, getting hit with all these religious experiences and kind of quasi religious philosophy. And then I hit this super hard depression, um, after, after taking a bad, a bad dose. So you have a bad um, trip and, and it has a lingering effect. Yeah. For like, for like two months, I was just more like far more depressed than I was in high school. Like not, not just antitonic, like actively everything felt like hell. Like, I hated like, the people around me, hated life, um, hated myself a lot. Um, yeah. And so that, that was like extremely confusing. You have all these, I was having all these ecstatic experiences, uh, encountering, you know, d divine love. And then all of a sudden I'm trapped with myself in this like, position of hating everything. And I'm like, okay, what the hell do I do now? Um, and so concurrently with the, with the year of, of psychedelics and Jordan Peterson, I'm also listening to Peugeot. And so I was futzing about with my major. Um, and I decided to start studying art because Peugeot was talking about art and, uh, and that, that seemed, uh, fruitful. And so I study art history and, uh, one of the things that gets me out of this super, like, I just need to escape this world because it's such hell, um, 
one of the things that gets me out of that is this painting by Jacopo Tintoretto. It's called uh, Christ Washing His Disciples' Feet. And Wait, hold on a second. I want to see if I can actually, maybe I can pull that up. Okay, by, what was the name of the guy? Tintoretto, T-I-N-T-O-R-E-T-T-O. Uh, yeah, that's that first one there. Okay, let's uh, let's full screen that. Uh, yes. Yeah. So just this this detail here of of the apostles trying to get their boots off, um, and they're just having the worst time. Uh, they're really struggling. <laughs> it just for whatever reason that that detail drove home the the craziness of the of the incarnation, like this transcendent, um, perfectly good God, like basically the thing that, that I encountered before that, that divine love, like it wasn't just, it wasn't just staying in its heaven. It was like actively seeking out the, the suffering people and the stupid people who couldn't get their boots off. Um, and so just the, the condescension of that love that, that Jesus like willed to suffer with us. Um, yeah, I, I encountered that and a sort of a calmness uh, just settled on me, uh, after, after thinking about that, about that painting. Um, and it was a, it was a calmness that was, that was not like, you know, blew me away. It wasn't like I was having an ecstatic experience. It was just like, this is, this is just true. This is, this is true. And I realized then, um, that that's really what I wanted to pursue that, um, I wanted to see the world that way, the way Jesus saw his disciples at the last supper with, you know, eyes of love. Um, cause I was, I was just, not very loving and I knew it. And, and so it was, it was really my first moment of, of contrition and wanting to change and wanting to grow closer to God was encountering that painting. Hmm. So when you say, um, this is just true, was that, um, like specifically about this, the Christ story and the details of it, like actual belief in the actual content or was it, was it more of, of, um, of, of, of an abstract thing? It was probably more of an abstract thing at that point. Um, it was more of like, this is so beautiful. I really, really hope this is true. Like if this isn't true, that's kind of what it is. It's like, if this isn't true, then the world is irredeemable. If this is true, then that's, that's great news. Um, if this, if this really did happen, um, I really want to believe that this happened. Uh, but it, it was not, it was not yet fully formed mm. faith at that point. It was not faith in, I mean, I don't know. It, faith in terms of, you know, just believing something happened um, as a, as a true false kind of test, 
that's that's how I thought of faith at that time. But there's there's the idea that it's abstract, and so that doesn't mean that it's like real belief. Like just finding a beautiful an idea beautiful when it's when it's that idea when it's the idea of Christ finding Christ beautiful. It's kind of like it doesn't matter if you if you don't think it happened or not because you find Christ beautiful and like that's that's the beginning of a relationship that's the beginning of faith mm. so this is uh it, it sounds like this is like the seed of faith or the beginning of repentance right. um for you but you're still you're still um so you're in the, like this biologically dark place when you encounter that um you know, it sounds like your brain's just not working right yeah after that bad acid um so like what was uh what was the process like of after uh after this turning point um so more more psychedelics i took four four aco dmt and like it just clicked something back into place and then i was functioning normally again yeah. um, i mean i like that you have a story about um like having a bad trip uh, just because I think, you know, the internet culture can be very psychedelic positive. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, especially in the Jordan Peterson sphere, uh, we talk a lot about, I mean, he, he does have like throwaway lines where he talks about the dangers of unearned knowledge. Um, but many people have bad experiences on psychedelics and it's not all um, rosy. Uh, so I appreciate that your story has that in it um, for, you know, those that want to follow your path, they should know um, it's uh, you, you can go through two months of seems like sheer hell. Um, like that's a possibility. No, yeah, they can, they can really fuck you up. And like, even, even like three years after, not three years, but like a couple of years after taking all these psychedelics and, and not doing drugs anymore. Like I still feel, um the effects of them like my mood i feel like is still not that that stable uh, and I, I think it has somewhat to do with that um being at uh the university of denver was kind of um i got to watch a lot of people go down that road and, and go a little schizophrenic um one friend was was hospitalized so i, I don't want to be here like just saying like psychedelics are bad because they were definitely a transformative part of my story but no the the danger really should be emphasized a little more for sure. Um, yeah. So, so your four ACO DM, DMT that, that clicks the, that like rattles yeah. the bone back into place. Yeah. Does something. Yeah. Puts, pops the uh, spiritual shoulder back in the socket or, or something. Exactly. And it's interesting that like, that these, these two things, like the, the bottom stuff, the emotional stuff and the, the philosophical stuff, these two tracks are like, always running at the same time and, and working off of each other. And it's just impossible to say like, what was, what was more influential, but yeah, eventually I get back on track and, uh, and then, um, what happens next? Then I'm, I'm sort of in this place where I, I really want to believe essentially. Um, I really want to, uh, be transformed by, by faith, by, by God. And 
it really takes uh, the scandal in 2018 of um, Theodore McCarrick, the Catholic mm-hmm. uh, cardinal, uh, that scandal breaking. And there were, there were like a couple other scandals at the time. Um, and then again, it was, it was my dad saying something, saying like, is this the end of the Catholic Church? That like was a shift for me. It was like, okay, like you need to stop um, you need to stop hanging around and thinking this is beautiful from the outside. You need to get in the church and help in the fight. And so again, it was, it was also a, another drug thing. I was, I was just stoned one night and I was like, I really want to believe I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it over and over again until I believe it. Jesus Christ died and rose from the, and rose from the dead. Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead and just kept saying it until, until I believed it. And then I was like, then I had all this, this convert zeal, um, and went to confession and didn't know at all what I was doing. Um, I did not know how to repent at all, but I, I was like, I really believe this is beautiful. I really want to be part of this. Um, but like making it correspond to my actions was, was just really, uh, really difficult. And I ended up being like much more, um, sinful actually after I converted, I feel like, um, than before, which is, which is interesting because it was just such much, so much a, uh, intellectual conversion for me. Um, something I wanted to ask you about. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, you mentioned a few times about like the story of Christ being beautiful to you. And that's, Mm -hmm. that was really striking to me. Like there's something about the beauty of this story that was really compelling. Um, In fact, you said something like, if this isn't true, then like the alternative is like untenable or unredeemable. Yeah. Then the world is, then the world is irredeemable. I think, I mean, that's been, that's been the the center of my faith really and it's kind of um unfortunate i guess but it's like i have i have nihilism and misanthropy and hatred of the world or i have christ like and i i I know if i don't have christ then i'll have then i'll have that because i already like as a christian trying to trying to do this stuff um I have the the streak of nihilism and despair and misanthropy, um, and it's and it's really, it's really clinging to to Christ for me, clinging to the idea that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that that allows me to not fall into that completely. Yeah, it seems like the uh, it seems like the really pivotal bit here is yeah. is. Uh is that the uh the beauty of the Christ story makes life worth living yeah and and it's a it's a story that you can and this is where i you know you can hear Peugeot. it's a story you can live in it's a story you can participate in like it's not just like oh the lord of the rings is beautiful but it's like you can participate in this story and and be transformed by it and the things that you do, the prayer, the fasting, and the almsgiving, 
they they genuinely transform you more and more into into Christ. Um, because I mean that's that's what we're doing as as the body of Christ. Um, yeah, and there's a you know, the point of being a Christian is to like be Christ for each other. Um, right, I've heard it. Right. Um, there was a a point recently where uh, I was I was in one of those kind of despairing uh, phases where it's just kind of was at Starbucks and was just not seeing any, any good in people and in the world. And, um, yeah, this woman was just on the side of the road and, uh, had her e-lights on and, uh, I go over and, and check out what's going on. And she's, uh, in, in San Diego for her, that's where I am, uh, for her mom's funeral and she's run out of gas and she's like passing out from how hungry she is. And, she has a baby on top of all of it. Um, so I, I, blah, 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 get her some food and gas and get her on her way. And then later she calls me again. She's like, I haven't eaten in three days. Um, and would you come down? And I'm, I'm really just like expecting to see her in a ditch. Um, and this is, this is exactly kind of the, the sort of pain of the world that makes me just like horrified by it, you know, like this is the, this is the stuff that just makes me think like, like what the fuck is the point? Um, and then I, I go down there, um, and like, she's, she's not in a ditch. She's like doing well. She says she's like being taken care of, um, and her baby's doing well and she's safe and everything. And I give her the money and, and the food and, uh, it's a, say goodbye and I just break down crying. Um, because it's like, I got to, I got to participate in, in that, mm. in that taking care of her, in that, in that love that God has for her. Um, I got to see her kind of the way Jesus saw his, his disciples at the last supper. Um, so it's like, that's, that's what it is. That what, that's what it comes down to for me is that, I will see the pain and suffering of the world as, as too much for, for the world to be worthwhile. If I don't participate in taking care of the pain and suffering, if I don't participate in the love of God. It reminds me of when Christ says, uh, feed my little sheep, you know, that's what he tells Peter yeah. to do. Um, right. or the parable of the last judgment, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, we, we have all our theories about salvation in the Christian world. Uh, but when in Christ's parable of judgment of, you know, of heaven or hell, it's, it's all about like, did you see me hungry and feed me? Did you see me naked and clothe me? Did you see me sick and visit me? Um, and, and, uh, you know, people say like, when did we see you hungry, Lord? And he says, well, to the extent you did it to the least one of these, you did it to me. Um, it's a very profound passage in the, in the Bible. Uh, and, and it's shocking to me that I, I didn't read the Bible for 18 years. You know, I was really steeped in it growing up and then I spent 18 years away from Christianity. And then when I read it again with fresh eyes, I'm like, this is a lot of this is just about serving the poor. 
you know, or helping the needy. It's like, like a lot of the gospels about that. Um, like it's more about that than it is about saying the right creed or, um, all the other things that we sort of make the modern Christian, um, the modern Christian, uh, uh, zeitgeist into. And even there with the, um, the, if you did it to the least of me, you did it to me. Um, I think, I think the, I don't know, the thing that moves me about that story is about the story of Christ is particularly the, the, the movement of descent. Um, there's, there's something about my, my past with the drug use. That's all about like ascent. And there's something about it. that's like about escape, leaving and going into the spiritual places with this idea that Christ is in the lowest he's in, he goes to like the very bottom of reality like that. I don't know. That's just very beautiful. It descends into hell. Right. 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 Um, yeah. So you become a practicing Catholic again, huh? You, you have your confession, you take your communion for the first time in years and years. Yes, sir. Uh, and then, um, I guess there's a, a path to walk after that. It's like, I mean, it would be nice to make that like, uh, the end. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, we have a prodigal son story here in a way, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's you, you grew up in the church, uh, but didn't really get it. Uh, and you go away and, and then you're coming back and now, now you're getting it. Um, in this, in this way that sort of like redeems, um, existence, uh, and, and is essential to your, to, to the way you're constructing yourself, um, or you're being constructed, uh, as you currently are. Um, and, uh, what, what happens after the end? Like, what's the, uh, what's the sequel? Then it's like just the, the difficulty of, of arranging the particulars according to that ideal. Like there's all this, all this stuff, like my, my passions, um, especially sexual passions kind of getting control of me. Um, and then also being in community with other, with other Catholics was like, that's, that was always kind of one of the most difficult parts for me was like praise and worship music. I don't know if you have encountered much of that, but the, the sort of like guitars and piano and like, and it's like very rhythmic and like gay um but like that's how justin murphy describes it um it's just you know it felt emotionally manipulative and i felt like uh felt like i didn't belong there i was a i dated a protestant woman for a little bit and went to a non-dom church and uh have some experience with contemporary christian worship music I'm familiar. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's one of the things is just how do I actually live this life? And like the, the philosophy is beautiful, but how do I make it so that the, the everyday reality that I'm in conforms to this beautiful ideal. Um, and, and that's, that's in itself is kind of 
transformative. It's like it's showing you how powerless you are. You you have no you have no ability to live up to your ideals. Like that was really the first thing um, that was driven home into me when I when I converted. It was like like I am I am weak basically, um, and I need help. Um, so yeah, that that's uh that's the beginnings of being a Roman Catholic again. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, you know, as someone that's also sp- spent a lot of time outside the church and came back to it, I experienced that tension too, of like, there's all these people that never went away and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm coming in with, yeah, from Jordan Peterson and psychedelics and, um, like there's a certain tension or just like worldview distance it's, it's not easy to, to walk into that church and keep walking in and, and, and like try to and live in that relationship um, because there's just, you know, coming from a different place and that's, that's a hard yeah. place to be. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm actually the young adult minister at my church now. Um, and well, like that responsibility. Yeah. It's a really, really weird place for me. Um, my priest was like, like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this? And I was like, I would be a bad adult minister. Like you don't, you don't want me like the, the crazy, like nihilist guy who's like on the edge of despair constantly. <laughs> like as you're young, oh, you sound minister. like a perfect young adult minister. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's really weird. Um, and like, building building culture building culture in the church is feels kind of impossible uh sometimes like or it's like we don't have a a real body right now like we have come to mass come receive the eucharist and then everybody kind of dissipates and it's just this completely vertical thing it doesn't it doesn't cohere very well so that's that's been that's what i'm working on now i guess is is trying to make uh make spaces where people can come together and can kind of be obvious that we are a body um i had an event today at the beach that no one came to so i'm still figuring out how to do that but yeah uh, yeah well i wish you wish you the best of luck in that it's a very um it's a very important ministry uh, that, that you have. Um, but yeah, yeah, that makes, uh, you know, I, I got frustrated sometimes where I see, I, I did a lot of like hippie stuff in the Bay Area and I felt like, you know, emotional, intentional relating kind of activities. And I felt like very close to some of those guys, but mm-hmm. it's in like these organizations that weren't really worth, that weren't really permanent or like worth being a part of. Um, then I come to the church and, like some people, sometimes I feel like I'm just like worshiping beside people and I don't know them as deeply as I knew. Like I sort of hunger for that realness that I had or authenticity that I had sometimes doing uh, the hippie stuff um, in the church. And I'm not sure exactly like the right place for that to go, but, but I have some, some, some sense that there, like there could be a more cohesive body and it's important to, to, um, be more cohesive. Um, 
it's just something I've been noodling on. I, I don't know the answers, and and I, and I think I think we we both agree that a lot of times uh, uh, you, you you can't know the answer. Like you have to sit in the tension. Um, like you chose you chose to come back in the church, right? You're like I mean you. It was very striking in your story when you're talking about the the Cardinal uh, McCarrick uh, scandal, and like that took you into the church where you know for a lot of people it's taking them out of the church. But you're like. I have to be part of this fight and congratulations. You're part of the fight. Like part of the fight is having nobody show up to your event, right? Like (laughs) you, 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 you're trying to build culture in the church and, and it's not automatic. Like that's part of the fight. Yeah. Yeah, It's so funny. It's like, yeah. Part of the fight is sitting there listening to the praise and praise and worship music and just being like, I'm not going to get mad. And yeah, it's fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I was thinking about like, man, maybe we should just do circling as like part of a part of some church ministry. Um, it'd be interesting to see if people are into that. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see. I, I'd be fascinated to to watch. I'd I'd go. I'd, yeah. If you did some in Austin, uh, I think it would be easier to do in the Catholic Church than in the Orthodox Church. We're a little bit more, um, you know, uh, I think a little uh skeptical of new things sure um sure. So, so you became orthodox yeah i'm, I'm an orthodox Sick. um yeah it's pretty it's pretty awesome uh i love it but um also i had no previous like commitments to a church i'd want to be part of like you were already you know right. baptized catholic so that makes sense for you uh, uh for me um yeah it was uh the church i fell in love with uh was the orthodox um yeah, you know, a lot of the language you're using about about like you, you mentioned like start the start of a relationship with Christ. Like I think about it, like my relationship to Christ and my relationship to the church. And using that term, it's like, you know, when I, when I encountered the church, it's the start of a relationship. And 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 I, and I describe my coming into the church as falling in love, um, and then getting married to it. Um, like I think, uh, I, I think like the um, process of becoming a Christian is not entirely intellectual um and, and, and for people for atheists who like um can't understand how anyone could believe that christ raised from the dead or affirm the creed of the nicene creed and, and become a christian uh it's like i think that's a piece that maybe they're missing is that like it is a relational process coming into the church and the philosophy of christianity is relational um and it's not necessarily an inferior philosophy to like the scientific materialism that's sort of the, the default. Um, it's just a, a different set of priors. Like, do you think the world is relational or <laughs> mechanical? And if you think it's relational, you're going to become a Christian. Uh, probably. I mean, it will lead you very strongly in that path. Um, uh, and if you think it's mechanical, then probably you'll become a nihilist. Um, I didn't have an answer to that, but I wanted to try on the relational side of things. Uh, I'm like, well, let me, what's it like if I, you know, if I try on Christianity and it all felt like home. Um, so what was, what was like the first step for you in, in trying on the relational being? Is this long? I mean, I hear a lot of echoes with you. Like, you know, I mean, definitely the, um, like the Jordan Peterson, lectures were part of my journey and um there was a period where i wanted to believe but i didn't believe you know it's like i want to believe this 
I don't. Um, you know, in the scriptures, they have the person that says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Right. Yeah. Um, which is a statement of relationship. He's treating he's treating his his um, his belief as like as like uh, he's he's accepting that God can can act on his belief. Um, it, 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 so so he's all, all he's kind of already there when he when he says to God help my unbelief. Um, and uh, and it, it does come from the heart I think uh, to to be a Christian. For most people, some people are convinced by like Aquinas or something. Um, some sort of like rational argument for God. It never worked for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah. So, um, these, the, so you have this big arc, right? You start off Christian, start off Catholic, you leave, <laughs> you come back. Um, and a lot of stuff happens in between. Uh, do you think there's anything that could have been done differently with how you were raised that would, like would have, skip that middle step or did it have to be this way? I think it had to be this way, um, for, for today because, because of the crisis that we're in. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was a way for me to just keep on discovering um, who Christ was before I needed to, um, you know, I mean, if maybe if my parents had stuck together, I wouldn't have had the, you know, the kind of going off the rails into all this different philosophy and, and, uh, and falling into kind of more nihilistic streaks, but, but I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't have the like knowledge that I have to cling to Christ mm. if that didn't happen. So I'm glad for it. I'm glad for the way things happened. Yeah. I think maybe, um, yeah, I, I don't know what, how people are. I almost want to interview people that have stayed Christian their whole life. Cause like, I, I don't understand them as much as I understand people that, um, leave and come back or never were and come in. Um, like there's a certain necessity to your faith, uh, like a personal necessity an existential necessity that, that I get, um, don't, I don't quite get, um, and, and I had, you, you kind of had to feel that need. You had to feel the necessity before you recognized it. Um, before, before you like comprehended the contours of like, what was at stake? Um, and, and I don't quite understand like how people get that without ever, you know, going through their, going through the darkness, um, how they, how they, I don't, I don't know how they can find, you know, the person that redeems the darkness without just knowing and experiencing how awful it is. Um, I think, uh, for the people I've, in, I've encountered, um, it's interesting. I think they have a sort of, some of them who are more self-aware have a feeling of being boring, almost like 
they look at the people who have these dramatic like reversion or conversion stories and they're kind of like, I just kind of have always been this, uh, this boring person who just, you know, believes in as a sort of innocent, uh, kind of belief. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think about people like St. Therese of Lisieux, who is like the, the epitome of that, that very flowery kind of innocent childlike belief. And then she has at the end of her life, this experience of, of complete disconnection from God. And like, she's, she's, going through the darkness of faith. Um, I don't know. So it seems that God finds a way to show the darkness to, to everyone who's, who's serious about it. But um, yeah, it would be Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm awful at cutting people off uh, a little too much. Um, we're working on it. Uh, uh, the, uh, all the, the darkness and the dark parts you went through, um, uh, do you have any sense of providence in that? I, I think, yeah, I think there's a feeling now of, of being able to trust a little bit of, you know, I look back at, at that darkness and being brought through that. And then I can kind of extrapolate outwards now where it's like, okay, I've been brought through pretty much hell. Like, whatever my fear is, like I will be brought through that as well. So trusting your providence. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. Well, trying to, but it's pretty difficult. Yeah. Not, not to jump around, but I think that for myself, I could never be boring. Like I had to do the interesting thing. Like I had to see, I, I have to put my hand in the fire. If someone tells me it's hot, you know, uh, just to check. Um, I've always wanted to live like a really epic life full of like daring adventures and near misses and coming out. Okay. At the end. And, um, and I think it might be a vice, you know, it might come from like watching too many Hollywood movies growing up. Um, like I'm, I am getting uh, a little older, um, you know, towards my late thirties and, uh, and I don't feel quite as compelled to to make a hash of it which is good uh because i think ultimately um it's not about how interesting my story is but i'm just trying to learn like how to love and how to be love um be loved for others and, and be loved um and uh yeah when you have uh when you have like a prior that you just like need to make everything a big adventure probably gets in the way like, like that that can become an idol that distracts you from like the real mission which is perfecting love do you find um do you find that it's like a pride thing for you it might like, be with, yeah yeah i think that's uh that's very insightful i think um you know i think when i was a kid, I needed to be the protagonist in the movie. Hmm. And uh, I'm not the protagonist in the movie. The world's too big for that. Um, none of us are. Uh, I find that there's a, there's a temptation for me to uh, view the kind of the, 
weirdness of my story as like, you know, too special. Like I, I overemphasize the difference between me and other people. And I find that that's a, for me, that's a kind of puts me in a place of judgment that I don't want to be in. I do think there's, um, like there's something common about, uh, I don't know if everyone, I think every, I think everyone that sticks to the faith and has a real genuine faith as an adult, whether it's, um, people that stay the whole time or leave and come back. Like there is some, I have this hypothesis that there's some moment where they have to make the faith their own. Um, it's either they make the faith their own, um, or, uh, they have like a shallow faith where they're just like sticking around for social reasons. Cause that's like where their friends are. They don't know any better. But I, but I think, I think in every adult's life, um, like they have to make the faith their own. And, uh, and I think for a lot of people, uh, it looks like your story, which is why I'm very happy to have it because I think it, it's going to speak to a lot of people, encourage a lot of people and, uh, just show people like what, it's possible. It's like you grew up Christian. There's something there. Um, but you needed to see what else was out there. It wasn't super compelling to you. There's arguments against it that made a lot of sense to you. Um, like that, that's a very common thing where people, you know, they need to go and sleep around, try some drugs, uh, be a Buddhist, uh, uh, you know, do, do, do whatever or pursue money. I mean, money is probably, if you're, if you're thinking like, what are the rival gods to, to Yahweh and our world? It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, money and money and sex, sometimes drugs, but more often money and sex. Um, and, uh, like people need to, sometimes people just need to, need to, need to sacrifice to those two before they're satisfied with coming back to Jesus. It's uh, been interesting with COVID. Uh, my, my priest is actually kind of like excited about COVID and he's like, this is getting rid of all the people who don't really want to be here. So mm. it's, uh, it's interesting. It's a kind of purifying function. Yeah. What do you think about, um, so you mentioned you, you don't, what do you think about psychedelics and Christianity? Uh, um, man, I think, uh, this, this is pretty complicated for me because I had a moment recently, uh, where I had a, a locution where it really was like a very powerful experience of like feeling like God was talking to me and was like giving me information. And that information, um, uh, like has been kind of a, a burden on me. Uh, and I don't know whether to trust it because specifically because I have a past of, of psychedelics and I think psychedelics can, opening you up to spiritual beings. Like I think there are spiritual beings like angels and fallen angels. Um, so I, I'm in this weird position where I'm like, I've opened myself up to these, um, spiritual beings 
And I don't know whether those doors are, are still open. So I have a kind of intense skepticism of um, spiritual experience in my own life because of my, my psychedelics, my psychedelic experience. So I think, um, I think they complicate things or they, I'll just speak for my own experience. They've complicated things in my own spiritual life for sure. You want to make sure that you're not being fooled by like um, after effects from the psychedelics or uh, spiritual beings reaching through the doors that you've kicked open sort of into yeah. the spiritual realm in your head. Yep. Um, I mean, did you, did you talk to your priest about your locution? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. He was like, uh, these can be from God. These can be from demons. These can be just from your imagination. Mm. Um, and I, I pretty much next imagination because just of the, distinctive quality of, of the experience. Um, mm. it was so, so different from like, I'd never even account encountered anything like that on psychedelics where it's just like, Hey, like I'm a presence, I'm telling you something. Um, but he was like, you know, there are some good signs in this, in what you're telling me. Um, and ultimately, Ultimately, I think the danger of, of those kinds of experiences is, is not just like getting like factually incorrect, like information. Like that's not, that's not what demons are trying to do. Like give you like just a little bit of, um, like lies. They're ultimately trying to destroy your, your salvation. And, and one of the things that they do in spiritual experiences is provoke pride. Um, I think this is what I've, this is what I've heard. Um, so I don't know the, the, the locution itself is not, has not done that at least in my life. It's, it's been actually making me a little bit more, um, seeking the protection of God because I don't know mm. what to make of it. That seems wise. I don't know. There's a story of a, a saint or I don't know if he's a saint, but there's a story from the, from the monastics. And I, and I don't know if this is pre or post schism, um, but um it's uh there was a monk a young monk um who you know christ appeared to him and told him he was a great monk and he should and, well he, he had been asking his abbot to like be a hermit because a lot of monks when they first start they want to be a hermit because like there's been a lot of great saints who you know live a life of solitary prayer that um have transformed the church and have been great great theologians and great men of prayer and, and so a lot of young monks want to be a hermit, uh, but, you know, they're, they're not ready. They're not mature enough to be on their own. They need to be in the brotherhood. They need to be guided by their elders. Um, they need to be guided and shaped by, like, the simple work of the monastery, cooking, farming, um, cleaning. And uh, so, you know, this young monk wanted to be a hermit, like many young monks. And then Christ himself appears to him and tells him he's a great monk. He's a great man of prayer. He has a great destiny. He's going to be a great saint. He should go be a hermit and don't listen to his, uh, you know, to his abbot. And so he leaves and uh, does become a hermit. But, you know, it wasn't Christ that, that told him about this. And it, it was, uh, you know, he ends up going on like uh, just wasting a lot of time. And, you know, uh, really, it was very dangerous for his his, his salvation and, and, and that pride that it brought him. And it wasn't real. And, and eventually he comes uh, you know, he, he 
he comes to his senses and, and he comes back to the to the monastery. Um, but but there is this sense that even if Christ himself appears to you and tells you something that you know it's not that hard for a demon to trick you into thinking he's Christ himself. And and it's a very subtle kind of lie, right? It's not he's not saying like um, not teaching him any heresies, not um, it, it just flattering his pride, um, really. So, yeah, it's, it's good to be cautious. And, and, uh, and I guess psychedelics, just, just the fact that you've had psychedelics make you even more cautious um, on that. that. Do you think Christians, um, like, would you still do psychedelics at all? Or are you, you past that phase? Or uh, Probably not. I, uh, yeah, I feel like if I did psychedelics now, it would just be opening those, those same doors. Mm. Now, maybe I would see angels, but at what cost? Mm. Uh, do you think, uh, I don't know, do you have any, um, thoughts on like, you know, there's a lot of young people listening to Jordan Peterson. He's talking about psychedelics a bunch. Um, like some of these are Christian, some of these aren't. Um, like, uh, you know, they have the possibility to really waken up some, awaken someone's heart, uh, really uh, take someone in, in positive directions. You know, we both, I think, experienced some positive from our psychedelic past. Uh, and then, yeah, and there's lots of dangers, lots of people that do lots of psychedelics that I don't like where they've ended up very much. Um, and, and certainly the church doesn't, is very wary of them and, and, and does not encourage people to take psychedelics. Uh, so I don't know, what do you, what do you make of, of this, like this interest in psychedelics by young people and like their, their effect on your own journey um, and uh, the skepticism of the church? Uh, like, whoa. I don't know exactly the right question to ask here, but what 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 do, what do you make about this tension? I think um, I think it does come back to the the transformation aspect. Like you can, you can take psychedelics. Um, but, and you can have experiences like, like those experiences of, of divine love or like experiences of a very like positive aspect of the universe, um, positive aspect of, of being. But I think it seems that what the church's point in, in not prohibiting, but, or discouraging at the least, um, is to point to the genuine transformation that it's not that the point of the spiritual life is not to have experiences of the good is, is to transform. Um, and I think, you know, the psychedelics just are, are a direct link into spiritual experience and don't necessarily entail the transformation. Um, and I think that's, that's something that people are, especially in the psychedelics community are aware of, um, like I've, I've read stuff from Scott Alexander talking about like the, the difficulty of, of actually translating these 
ecstatic experiences into experiences of that, that transform you. Um, so I don't know. And then, and then there's the aspect of the context that you're doing it in. Um, like I was, I was actively searching for some kind of transcendent orientation in my life, in my use of psychedelics, but there's also the context that you could do it in of just having a lot of fun um, or summoning some, I don't know, whatever, like thing, whatever new age, like witch talk thing. Um, so I, I think, I think it's going to bring a bit more, a bit more chaos into, into our culture. Um, the, the current, uh, focus that we have on psychedelics, but I think, you know, as we've said, like Christ shines all the way down. So there's, there's going to be more and more people coming out of this too. Um, but, but that way is narrow. I think, I think it's not, it's not going to be the majority of people. Yeah. I do think, and I've said this before that there's going to be a lot more people coming to Christ from the psychedelic community or with psychedelic experience. Um, and, it, and it's not something that the church really has a lot of experience speaking to. Um, you know, I think, I think most churches tend to want to ignore it. Um, and, and, and I, and I wish, I wish there was like a little bit more sophistication, um, with how the church was addressing people in the psychedelic world. Uh, like mostly I just hear the church saying, don't do it. Um, and like, well, I mean, you have someone that like, you know, had their first spiritual experience in their life, probably maybe someone that had no sense of spirituality before. Um, and then like starts coming to Christ. I mean, he's like listening to Jordan Peterson and doing shrooms and, um, and then, you know, and he comes to the church and the church only can tell him no. Um, and, uh, and, and, I, and I'm not asking the church to tell say yes and endorse it, but, but I, but I wish they could, I wish there was just, um, a little bit more of a nuanced discussion, um, because I do think it's growing in prominence. Uh, and I, and I do think the, um, the risk is that if, churches that that have a history of guiding people towards Christ and shaping real Christians don't talk about psychedelics, then you're going to have psychedelic splinter groups um, that are quasi-Christian that, that will talk about it and they will be very prideful and, and they won't have that, that record of really leading people to Christ. Um, they may not be capable of leading people to Christ except for by accident. Um, that's just one sort of int int intimation of the future that that I'm mulling over. Um, It'd be interesting to see, like, I don't know how 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 do Protestant groups deal with this because they don't have they don't have the years of tradition and the monastic spiritual life to to ground a, a spirituality, but like spirituality in in one way or another is is coming back in a hmm. into the culture and like if you don't have a a uh, rigorous spirituality already yeah you're just going to get 
blown over by it and taken over by it for sure. Well, I do think the, um, like the sixties were in the seventies were the initial sort of psychedelic eruption, right? And they were very chaotic times. So like the prediction that we're going to see more chaos in the culture with the rise of psychedelics, I think is, is a good prediction. Uh, also there, those were very seminal decades where a lot of, um, they were very influential in sort of the, the artistic thinking of the next, the artistic and philosophical thinking of the next few decades. And I think we're going to see more of that. Um, and they were also, uh, they were also kind of solvents in some way, like, uh, like they like people started questioning a lot of assumptions, including assumptions about what, what sex looks like, what family looks like, um, what religion looks like. Uh, what music looks like, what government looks like, what activism looks like. Um, there, there was a lot of, a lot of institutions changed. Um, and so, so I, I, I do believe like that, that could be another um, sort of impact of the more widespread adoption of, or the, the, the reawakening to psychedelics and psychedelic interest in the culture. Definitely. I think, um, I mean, you guys have all the, of all the mysticism, right? So you're, we've got to look to you for the, for the guides on this. Like there, there's a very strong mystical culture in the Orthodox church. I think it's the strongest in all of Christianity, except for maybe, uh, maybe like modern Pentecostals are like, you know, they, they have like a mystical sense too, but it's this shallow and new thing that's not really proven and doesn't seem wholly good. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I think the Catholic Church has a mystical tradition and then the Orthodox Church has a, I, I think it's a little bit more centered, actually, um, and, and emphasized, um, at least as a convert, it was very easy to find. Uh, and, and that's what, like, drew me into the church was, like, sort of this mysticism sort of worn on the sleeve, uh, which is sure. exciting to a, to a Buddhist psychonaut like myself. Um but uh yeah i think um having some experience with spirituality like you know the wisdom to say like um if i hear the voice of god it might not be the voice of god you know because we've been dealing with these things for two thousand years we kind of know we've been around the block a few times not the first time someone's heard the voice of god um and uh, you know, a lot of the like the protestantisms that um I, I hunger for mysticism, but the Protestantisms that have a lot of mysticism, I don't trust them. Um, because, uh, like, I don't think the record of like mystical Protestantism in the 20th century is a good one. Um, well, they're definitely very unstable, like in terms of, in terms of splinter groups, like it's splinter groups off of splinter groups off of like this revelation leads to another group. And then this revelation, man, there's some crazy stories from, the 60s uh martyr maid has a podcast uh martyr maid is a podcast that is about history and he has a, a series on the jim jones cult um one of these groups it was a pentecostal splinter group that started um getting where, where the founder jim jones was also into radical left politics and then uh at some point he comes to the bay area with his church that was a straight edge church at the time and then they start being affected by uh like the psychedelic culture of the bay area and the free love culture and that starts coming into his church and you know it ends up with a mass suicide in africa um not a very good 
outcome. And, and it's sort of like the, it's like the case for like, it's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of the scenarios that's possible when this chaos starts really shaking the church. I had no idea that that, that started as a, like a straight edge Christian thing. It's yeah, that's crazy. Just a, just a Pentecostal pastor really active in his community. really did a lot of social justice stuff, uh, feeding the poor, um, fighting segregation, all sorts of things. Uh, really uh, has quite a narrative arc to it, uh, which is why I think that that series is so compe compelling. Um, well, I do appreciate your time. I'm, I was trying to go for 90 minutes. Um, probably didn't need to. Maybe I could do it in an hour. I don't know. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, no, this was great. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the space to tell my story. Um, this is exciting. I'll be listening to your podcast and uh, look forward to hearing your story. Um, question for you. Uh, is there is your YouTube still active? Uh, not really. I haven't posted anything in like a year. So, or is there, yeah. is there any place online when you're where you're you want people to check out or uh, no, you're no. your creator? No. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. Fine. Uh, well, thank you very much for being here and uh, having this conversation with me. Thanks, Jacob.